Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 29th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and my guest co-host this week is another girly with Eastern North Carolina ties. She is a reporter and wine lover, too, and my guest co-host this week is Melissa Henry. Hello, Melissa. How are you? Hi, Liam. I am doing well. I'm so happy that I got to uh, do this with you. I have talked to you in a while but I know yeah it's crazy um but we're both in the news world and so you know I I love true crime stuff personally like I'm really invested in these kinds of things like I don't know I go down a rabbit hole of like you know reading about this stuff so I was so Mm -hmm. happy when you asked me yeah well and I know that you're like a true crime girly too like I know you're all about that so Melissa and I first met when I was taking her job actually (laughs) in Jacksonville North Carolina um she trained me right before she moved to Colorado where she is right now. She's a reporter at KKTV, the CBS affiliate in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yep, I've been here for, I actually just passed my three-year anniversary, but we have um, actually a lot of crime. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Colorado, I don't know what it is. It's got like just some crazy stories about people that go missing, Mm. people whose bodies have never been found. I've covered a couple of those like personally. Um, So it's, yeah. There's a lot going on. Yeah, you know what it is? I feel like it's like mountain stuff because I feel like For like real. same thing in Chattanooga, like the weirdest shit happens here. And like I feel like the same, like the weirdest shit happens in Colorado yeah. too. So I also know because um because I, we follow each other on Twitter that I saw that you also covered the Letitia Stalk trial too. Um and everyone in the true crime world I know is like absolutely like, you know, obsessed with that case. And so, you know, that was absolutely a ride, huh? It was incredibly fascinating to sit in the courtroom for all six weeks of trial, first of all. Oh, man. I mean, I know it lasted six weeks. That's crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, I've sat in on trials before, but never one as long as six weeks. So it was just insane. The amount of like just witnesses they had and and, like just all the evidence. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, and I so I also like speaking of like weird shit happening in like happening in like weird towns, too. So like we like, you know, I know, you know, that weird shit happens in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Line too. Uh-huh. Um, that I've covered two cases in Jacksonville um, over the last couple of weeks. And so one of those cases I know that you know very, very well. Um, it was the Mariah Woods case. That's episode six of this podcast. And then a couple weeks ago, we did Jenna Franks too, um, which I know oh. was a little bit after your time. Um, but I you, I mean, I, I know that you know that just, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's quite a ride of a town for sure. So, I remember I mean, you telling me about the yeah. Jenna Franks stuff when it was first happening. And I mm. remember telling you to like push harder on that because I was like that's insane yeah it really was yeah and it still is to this day so but anyways we can probably talk about Jacksonville all day (laughs) I know we're both like way beyond that um so let's get to the wine because I know because that's like my favorite part of the podcast everyone's favorite part of the podcast so this week we are drinking Z Alexander Brown's Pinot Noir it's created by the lead singer of the country rock band the Zach Brown Band the vineyard says the wine is overflowing with intense aromas of black cherry vanilla and toasty oak and robust flavors of fresh raspberry jam and strawberry so man those fruit flavors huh like they love those so i'm super excited i just poured it and i've been smelling it a little bit sitting here next to it okay but i haven't taken a first taste yet Okay, well, so, you're, like, way ahead of me because I'm, like, literally just cutting the foil right oh, now. Oh, okay. So. All right. Well, I'll <laughs> yeah, wait yeah. then. Um, <laughs> well, but, let's get there. I, yes. Like, listen, I love an ambitious wine girly, so, like, no no judgment here at all. All right, let's pop this open. 
There you go. Um, so, like, the red fruit flavors, I feel like, are always so interesting because I feel like, like, wines always either, like, really lean into that or, like, lean, like, way far away from that, too. Um, yeah. So, like, they are clearly leaning right into that, so. I'm a big oak person when it comes to wines. I love that I saw that this had oak and vanilla. Mm. Vanilla, as well, is a big priority of mine when picking out yeah. wine. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, now we know. So, wait, so, so what, like, are you, you're, I, wait, hold on, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. I feel like you i feel like you go for like a nice pinot noir i i like pinot noir i'm not gonna lie um i it's one of my go-tos but my direct go-to above pinot noir would probably be usually either blends or cabernet sauvignon Mm, um okay so usually i see that for you yeah Yeah, i'm a big cab girl yeah, me too. So that's why we're friends. Um, but also, <laughs> oh, wait. Well, cheers to you, Melissa. Thank you so much oh, for coming yay. on this week. Oh, toasty Oh, that's oak. good. Yeah, toasty oak is like the first thing I got for sure. Robust flavors of fresh raspberry jam and strawberry. Yeah, that's a really great way to describe that. You know what I like about it? And this is always kind of something that I look for when I'm, you know, picking out or like prioritizing my favorite wines is... Mm-hmm. It's not too overwhelming that after one glass, mm. I'm going to want to be done with it. Mm. Like, I'm going to want to drink the whole bottle, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I mean, there's a time and place for sure for like a really like aggressive, like, you know, it, sure. it, it hits you right in the back of the throat kind of a wine. Mm. Um, but then once you have one glass of it, you're kind of like, well, that was yeah. a lot. Like you're overwhelmed yeah. and it overpowers yeah. everything. I'm getting this very much so in the front of the mouth, for sure. So not really too strong in the back of the mouth at all, actually. Yeah, no, it's it's very nice. It, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's great to just like have to sip yeah. on. Like I say, it's not too aggressive, if that makes any sense. Very tanniny though, for sure. Um, I'm getting a whole lot of tannins, and so let's talk about. Okay, so black cherry vanilla. I don't really think I get a whole lot of black cherry or vanilla, actually. I'm trying to taste it. I. Maybe it will come, you know how t- like wines change o- over time yeah. as you oh, yeah. as they open up. Maybe yeah, that'll yeah. come out later cuz I'm oh, not getting sure. it either initially. Yeah. Well, you know we will revisit the wine at the uh, in, in in like the middle of this podcast. So hold that thought for sure um cuz I'm sure we have a whole lot to talk about. So, you know, I love talking about wine, so. Yeah, the oak is definitely there front and center. Oh, You're right. Front and center. Um but, you know, let's let's move on right to the story because I know you know about this one and we have like so much to discuss. Uh, you know, we like we could talk about wine all day, but this case is just crazy. So, uh, let's let's dive right into this one. So, Melissa, I know that we've all been here before where you go out for the night but just don't remember how you got home or even leaving the bar like I think like personally a telltale sign of a really good night but in the story I'm going to tell you this week not only does no one remember our victim leaving the bar but there's no evidence that he ever did Melissa this week I want to tell you the story of Brian Schaefer and the long night out (laughs) 
this week's story begins where our long night out actually ends. It's April 1st, 2006 in Columbus, Ohio. It's the very first day of spring break for students at The Ohio State University. And Brian Schaefer's two friends, Clint and Meredith, who he went out with the night before, are cracking their eyes open for the very first time, probably desperately trying to cure an intense hangover. But as the day gets clearer, the night before starts to come into focus, too. And they remember that when last call came and went at their favorite local hangout spot, they couldn't find Brian to bring home with them. They remember the music from a local band dying, the lights flicking on and the bar clearing out, but Brian was nowhere to be found. They assumed that Brian had shuffled out early and went home to head to bed for the night, but now they're calling his cell and still can't seem to get a hold of him. About two hours north of them in Toledo, Ohio, Brian's girlfriend Alex is trying to get a hold of him too, but she's not having any luck either. For most of the day, Alex assumes that Brian is just sleeping off his hangover and that he'll call her back when he can, no big deal. But as Saturday turns into Sunday, there is still no sign of Brian, and so that night Alex goes to his apartment in Columbus and finds nothing, a totally normal apartment with no sign of Brian at all. But it's not until the next day that things start to feel just simply too real. When Brian misses his flight for his trip to Miami with Alex, and that is something that Brian just simply would not miss. Not only has Brian always longed for a life in the tropics, but he's also madly in love with Alex and possibly was even planning on proposing to her on that trip. And so this just does not feel right to any of Brian's friends or family, and they report him missing that day. You know, when I first hear about that, I think of how scared Alex must have been in that moment. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, it's... Mm-hmm. uh it's always scary, too, to think about when you go out with your group of friends at a bar. And mm. we've all done it where it's like, you you could be in a dangerous spot, but you're just counting yeah. on the odds that, well, nothing will probably happen, right? Well, yeah, and, like, naturally, too, like, everyone's, like, like altering their state of mind, you know? It's, like, a very, like, weird place to put yourself in. But it's, like, also, like, if you're out with, like, a whole bunch of people, it should, like, also oddly feel very, like, safe, right? Because you're with a whole bunch of people who are in the exact same place. Well, and too, you know, like I was thinking back on it actually yesterday um, when I was reading about this just story in general. There were a lot of nights out when I was in college that looking back on them now, I'm like, oh, God, that was probably not as safe as I should have been, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, we've all yeah, for sure. We've all been there. We've all been like, uh, at the time, my parents, you know, they were like, you probably shouldn't be doing that. And every college kid is like, oh, I'm fine. We're good. uh, Like, we all trust each other. And now like, yeah, nothing bad's gonna happen. Just a few years later into my 20s. I'm like, I see their point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Right, exactly. And so yeah, and I think too, like going to like Alex's perspective too, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, you know, like, you know, dumb guy, right? Like, you know, he's probably been there a hundred times where it's like he's not answering his phone, you know, and this is also too 2006, right? So it's not like, it's like, it's not like, you know, like today we have Find My iPhone, like we have all these apps that like you can make make sure that everyone's okay and safe and like Snapchat, like you have all this trail of digital evidence. Like this was like... Like, that was not happening at all. Like, this was, like, very much so the land of flip phones and, you know, and landlines. And, like, you know, it's, it's it's you know, not exactly as easily accessible to find out where everyone is. So, so point being is, like, not hearing from someone from a couple of hours or even maybe even a day, probably a lot more normal than it would be today. 
Well, and not to mention when you know your friend's been out drinking, we've all right. been that person where you wake up the next day and you're like, oh my God, I have seven missed calls. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's because like, you where'd were- where'd you go? It's like, I thought you guys knew where I was. Yeah. Well, so and it's like you were dead to the world because you were <laughs> dancing and you were drinking. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Right. Oh my God. So, but I think we need to know like what actually happened on Brian's night out. Oh yeah. No, absolutely, Melissa. So before we even get there though, there are like a few things you need to understand about Brian. First off, he is like a really big guy, 6'2", fit, and pretty good looking too, certainly one to stand out in a night crowd. He was 27 years old at the time and was a second year med student at the Ohio State University, where he also had went for undergrad. So like very like familiar with the area. He really had everything going for him too. Like I said, he was in love with Alex, who was also a second year medical student. They both had, you know, made great great grades, and he was truly the life of the party, like the guy on campus. But, you know, sometimes life has this weird way of hitting you when you least expect it, and the tragic series of events that involves Brian Schaefer's disappearance truly begins just three weeks before his big spring break night out on the town. Brian Schaefer's mom died from cancer, and this was a tragic blow to Brian. She was sick for a really long time, but nothing can ever prepare you for that kind of loss, especially since they were, like, really, really close. And that can totally throw someone off, like, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, the the normal person that you expect them to be, and then something like that happens, their character can totally, Mm -hmm. you can kind of throw that out the window at that point. Oh, yeah. Um, Right, there's no normal behavior in that kind of state of mind, yeah. Well, and, I mean, not to, and I don't mind mentioning this, um, my mom passed away when I was 18, and Mm -hmm. I'm totally comfortable talking about it, um, But, you know, it does change your social life. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that about you, and I'm really sorry to hear that. Oh, Uh, no, it's okay. I was just trying to, like, relate to the story a little bit. Like, you know, when when something like that happens abruptly, especially, like, in college, it can totally Mm. change your social atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sure, too, like, you know, you're used to this, like, certain lifestyle. And, like, too, like, I feel like, and you can definitely relate to this um, to to a certain extent, too. I'm I'm sure of it. Um, You know, it's it's like like your parents like, you know, having your parents be sick, I'm sure, or, you know, pass, it's, like, such a weird, like, you know, like, you, like, I feel like you grow, like, like, monumentally, you know, in, in, like, you know, j- in a very short period of time, and, like, that kind of, Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, and, like, you're used to having them around, like, you're used to having them caring for you, and then all of a sudden, like, they're gone, and it's just, like, it's such a, it's, like, I'm sure it's, like, a very weird thing to cope with, so. Well, and what's weird about it, too, is, like, we see movies, and we get this, like, storyline in us of how we think people process. Mm-hmm that kind of loss and grieve Mm -hmm. but um there's really no way to be prepared to be like someone on the sidelines like to be a friend to somebody who's you know whose parent died because you might have all these expectations of what your friend might Mm -hmm. be like in that experience but everyone handles it different like there's no way to know there's no way to prepare yourself it just it is you have to roll with the punches kind of well and i'm I'm sure there are like you know a very 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 small percentage of people that ever even have to like know what that's like to lose a parent at that you know at that young age too yeah so it's like what do you even say right and even you know what's weird is even for me like i've had friends in the past few years who have lost a parent at still a relatively young age and Mm -hmm. i find that i don't even know what to say to them even though Mm -hmm. i myself have been through it 
I don't know what their experience is. You know, I don't know yeah. how it's affecting yeah. them. So, you know how you kind of feel awkward when you're talking to someone who's just had mm. someone die in their life? Because you're like, I don't know what to say. Um, I still feel that awkwardness, even mm. though I thought I wouldn't because it's like, well, I've been through it. But no, mm. it's just it's everyone's different. Yeah. And everyone's relationship with their parents is different, too. You know, even if no matter how close you are, it's still like you have just a like everyone has a very different relationship with their with their with their mom and dad. And so, yeah, it is like, yeah, I can imagine how that's just like a very like weird frame of mind to even put yourself in. So do we know at all like how Brian might have been handling it and what his relationship was like with his mom? Yeah, well, they were very, very, very close. And so from the outside looking in, he was handling it pretty well. But those who really knew Brian said they could tell he was having a really hard time with it. Nothing too extreme, but he was definitely holding in a lot of the emotions that you would typically expect someone to feel when they are hit with that kind of loss. Maybe because, again, Brian was this bigger guy, really popular, well off, and for guys like that, it can be probably, you know, a bit harder to express how they're feeling about those kinds of things. On March 31st, Brian and his friends wrapped up their final day of classes for the first half of the semester and were planning their night out. Brian wanted to go, but first he had to meet up with his dad, who was taking him out for a congratulatory steak dinner for finishing the first half of the semester so strongly. At this dinner, Brian's dad said, you know, he just looked really, really tired, and maybe it was the late night studying, but he had a sinking feeling that it had something to do with his mother's passing. Brian's father said he thought to himself that Brian probably shouldn't be going out partying that night, but he kept those thoughts inside because, you know, Brian's a grown man. He can make his own decisions. So they talked for a while longer, expressed some sentiments and memories about Brian's mother, and then they went their separate ways. Brian then went to go meet with his friend Clint at the Ugly Tuna Saluna, a bar that's just off of OSU campus. This bar is your picture-perfect college hangout spot. It's actually not where it used to be anymore, and it has since moved to a spot just a few blocks over where it's now called the Ugly Tuna Saluna 2. The bar's original Yelp site says it was open until 2.30 in the morning every night of the week, but the vibes are still the same in this new location. The bar's website is filled with pictures of young college kids and late-night crowds, and the bar's website says it is a unique, fun-first atmosphere where friends are made every night of the week. And it's so funny how we all, like, remember that one bar, like, what it was for us. (laughs) Uh And I also, when I was, like, seeing this, I think that's such a funny name ugly tuna saluna yeah you know yeah i feel like every like again like every college bar or every college campus too like has that like one bar that it's like why is it named that like no one ever really knows no one really knows (laughs) yeah right it's like you know and especially osu is like a very college you know campus right it's like the typical college college town and so um so it's you know like that you know just screams to me you know like where you know it's like every friday night is just jam-packed you know no matter what so yeah no i mean it it sounds like the type of place just based on like what i've read about the story that i probably would have hung out there if i went to osu i (laughs) did not but like 
For us, uh, where I went to school, it was called Pub 2, and they had Pub mm. Wednesdays where you could get, like, $5 pitchers of beer, you know, and yeah. everyone went, because college kids want to get drunk cheap. That's always yeah, the objective. Right, right. <laughs> and that's exactly what this place was, for sure. It just reminds you. It's like, you know, it definitely wasn't a dive bar, but it had, like, very dive feels, you know? Like, that sure. was just, like, it was, you know, because that's the kind of crowd you're catering to. The type of sure. bar where, like, the cocktails definitely are in, like, plastic cups. You're not oh. getting, you're not getting oh. glass cups. <laughs> yeah, and they're like definitely like like the ratio of like you know of you know mixed to to to, co- to um, liquor like way too way too high like you know you know that it was like one drink and you're like on your butt so yeah okay yeah. so uh, so what happened next well so Brian and Clint are beginning their night at the Ugly Tuna Saluna but they won't stay there for very much longer they begin this celebratory bar hopping spree going from spot to spot all across downtown Columbus about an hour after. Brian got to the Ugly Tuna, he calls Alex to say, hey, Alex is in Toledo visiting family, like we said, to start off her spring break. He tells her that he loves her, that he can't wait to spend the week with her in Miami, and then he hangs up. At one point, too, he even calls his brother Derek. Derek and Brian have a pretty, you know, average relationship. They're not super close, but they're not estranged by any means. But since their mom had passed, they became, you know, a a good bit closer. Brian tries to convince Derek to meet him out that night, and Derek says he did consider it, but decided to meet friends, um, his friends, out at a local bar instead. Clint says at each bar he and Brian went to that night, they had at least one shot each, but he says he can't remember how many drinks they had total. At one point, they meet up with their friend Meredith, who's sober, or at least more sober than Clint and Brian at this point, and she agrees to drive them back to the place where they started their night, the Ugly Tuna Saluna. And this is when their fun night out takes a turn for the very strange. Firstly, you know, Melissa, I have to tell you more about this bar. The Ugly Tuna Saluna is not exactly your tip in your typical spot. It's in this shopping mall kind of of sorts. You know, that's really the best way I know how to describe it from pictures that I've seen. The campus's south end is in this really bad part of the city where there is a heavy concentration of crime. To combat that, the city built this inside, like, plaza, again, of sorts. Again, built like a mall, but it's filled with bars, restaurants, and shops. It's a way for businesses to be attracted to that part of town in a more secure way, though. Because of the area of town it's in, though, this plaza, and specifically the Ugly Tuna Saluna, is covered with security cameras from practically every single angle. And I point this all out because these security cameras are about to become very, very important for us. The only way for customers to get to the Ugly Tuna Saluna is up this escalator, which lets people off practically right at the entrance to the bar. Brian, Clint, and Meredith are seen on surveillance video coming up the escalator at 1.15 in the morning. The trio goes into the bar without any issues, probably get a few more drinks, enjoy the local band playing, and are having a good time by all standards. Apparently at one point, though, Clint says Brian starts talking to these two college-age woman that Clint knew, but, you know, based on what I read, it's not totally clear if Brian knows them, too. 
Clint later tells Dateline that Brian starts to, quote, do his thing in reference to these two young women, but it's not totally 100% clear, like, what exactly he meant by that. Well, I mean, I think he was flirting with them. I think we both know that. But, you know, he was, like, trying to put the moves on him a little bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly where my brain goes. But again, I'm just like, what about Alex? You know, so, like, I don't know. I didn't want to, like, you know, so it could be, you know, maybe he was just, like, you know, schmoozing a little bit. Like, maybe it was just, like, innocent. But, I mean, I don't know. College kids kids too like well i get he's not a kid though he's 27 so he's yeah, not like right. he's like an adult. Yeah, yeah 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 he's actually my age now so i don't i, <laughs> I don't think of myself as being college age at all but um <laughs> yeah i i guess for medical school you technically are but no this bar yeah. also i was mm. going to say super weird setting i mean i i oh, totally yeah. get like the trying to combat crime thing but when i was seeing like an escalator was involved and it's in a shopping mall i was like yeah. what kind of bar is in like the second level of a mall yeah again like really really weird but like it's kind of like i don't know i kind of like picture it like so there's like actually like something like kind of similar like in chattanooga it's like this little like again like a little plaza of like restaurants and shops and stuff and like there's not a bar in there but like there's still like escalators that you can get to like some of the restaurants but it's all like it's all outdoors because like like it's like the south like ohio is like obviously much different climate so like maybe that's kind of what they're going for like that's kind of what i picture anyways and like we're about to show you like a whole bunch of videos and stuff um of the security camera video that we're talking about so you can get like a little bit of a better idea but like again like everyone listening at home like go look up this like video that we're going to link to because you can kind of like see like i can think like while Melissa and i are like having a really hard time like describing it and like telling you what it even looks like because it's just like a very weird environment but it's also too like i picture like like again like midwest ohio like you're from chicago yes like maybe you you know this um so like you know like i feel like 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 the like because of you know it's it's cold like half of the year so like maybe that's part of it too well so what you brought up about like what bar you said was similar where you are in tennessee um like the the concept of a food court if if Mm -hmm. i'm kind of phrasing that right because we here i live in Colorado now that's where I am and um now that I think of it actually we do have like a I again I don't know if food court is the right term but it, it's like a food hall yeah. food hall that's yeah, yeah. what I'm going for mm-hmm. and it does have upper level bars now that I think of it and even mm-hmm. though it does get cold here because I'm in Colorado it's it's mm-hmm. enclosed enough that like people just wear a jacket in the winter and they're fine so maybe yeah. it was a similar mm. setting to that. I don't know. I haven't seen visuals yet. So. I think it is because I looked it up on Google Maps and it's kind of like you go in, like you park on the street and then you go in and it's like, you know, this very walkable place and then you can kind of get into these different spots. But like, again, you'll see on the video, like it's very much so enclosed. So it's very, very weird. But like, I think we'll get there in a second. So, but at one fifty-five in the morning, Brian is seen for the very last time. He's seen on that same surveillance camera video outside the bar near the escalator talking to those two women. And then they appear as though they go back toward the bar entrance. Here, Melissa, I'm going to play this part of the video for you and you can kind of just like describe it for us if that's okay. Sure. So this is like from the very, very beginning. So this is gonna, you're gonna see them coming up the the escalator and all that jazz. Okay, so I see a couple of security guards on the stairs next to the elevators. 
And then I see some people coming up the escalator, which looks to be... So that's Brian right yeah. there. Yeah. So I see Brian. He's a tall dude with a t-shirt. Looks kind of cool. Mm. So I see Brian. They're zoomed in with his friends, presumably, Clinton mm. Meredith. Then we get to... And it kind of went fast. So this is a zoomed in portion of... So this okay. is Brian right here. Um, and these are the two like college age women that we're talking about. So what we were just zoomed in on before, they were like right here. Okay, I kind of thought that was maybe where they were. Okay, so we're so this is where we were like when we first started. Yes. Um. So this so these two security guards were. This is like clearly later in the night. These two security guards were there in the in the other video. Um, oh. that we were talking about. So, okay. so, and so again, so this is happening like where Brian and those two women are talking, like it's like right down here. Okay, gotcha. So, again, but again, like security guards right there, like there were a few more people just kind of like again, like chit chatting, like around like the little lobby area, but also too. So, you'll see like it kind of got like I like the way you describe it like a food hall because like there are these like stairs, like there's escalators, but like you can see like there's like it's like totally it, like looks pretty enclosed like it may be like a little more open yeah no it looks very enclosed i would say yeah it doesn't look super open yeah but and like i like i don't only mention that in the way of like like it's like you know that feels a little bit more like secure a little bit more private i guess right if like if you like instead of just like you know going down the escalator and just like being out into the world and like god knows what happens like i feel like it's like a little bit more like you know there's only like a couple of doors probably that you can go in and out and so point being again like you know like we're gonna get to like what happens but like like if if you are like leaving this place like you're gonna be seen you know what i mean it's like and like there's like you know very few like entering exit points to like you know to note here yeah there are only so many places you could be it's kind of limited in terms of places a person could go yeah, and it looks like there's, like, another, like, little, like, hallway over here that, like, overlo- overlooks what we're looking at right now, um, worth, like, maybe a little bit more shops and stuff. But, like, again, like, it doesn't appear as though you can get out from any other place except for where we're looking at right now. Yeah, definitely. So really important. Definitely. Yeah. So just a few minutes after, you know, the, the clips that we were just looking at just now, the lights flash and the music stops, and Clinton and Meredith start looking around for Brian, but they can't seem to find him anywhere. They start calling him, but he's not picking up. They check the bathroom, but he's not there either. So they leave the bar and wait outside for Brian, but as the final party goers leave the building, Brian is still nowhere to be found. They they assume at this point, maybe with alcohol clouding their judgment a bit, that Brian must have just went home without them, and so they just leave, go home for the night. Yeah, that's scary. I mean, like, mm. you know, the thought of, again, like, going out to bars with your friends and, like, you just can't find one of them at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. Um it would be hard to make that decision to just like, well, yeah. I guess we can't find him. Yeah. And like also too, like, like I know they're like, like older. So like, you know, sure. Like they, he can make his own decisions, but like, I'm even like, I'm like not much, that much younger than Brian. And like, I can't imagine like going out with my friends and just like not being able to find him and just be like, mm, like, oh, well, I guess again, if they're drunk, like sure. Well, and after a certain point, like there's only so much worrying you can do yeah. before yeah, it's just fair. like, you can't make a body appear <laughs> or, yeah, or a sure. human. Sure. Yeah. I guess it's like, like in my mind, I'm like, okay, like you know, there are, I'm sure, police like, officers like climbing around everywhere. Like you didn't think to like stop one of them, but like again, like I guess you just like, can't even get into their brain at this point. And like I can also see a world where like, okay, it's like you know he's dealing with something. You know, clearly he would just like wanted to do this on his own. Like let's just like let him do it. You know, give For him sure. the space. 
Also, really quick, um, on the wine, I'm starting to taste more of the fruits. Are you you getting that a little bit? I definitely, yeah, I'm getting, like, a lot of the cherry, too. Like, actually, now that I think about it, yeah, like, the cherry is, like, very, like, mouth-forward, for sure. Yeah, and I like it. I'm happy that that's coming through. It gives it a sweetness, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, now, only we know that that is, like, not what happened here at all. Like, Brian did not just leave on his own. We know that Brian is never heard from again after that night and is never seen again after the camera picked him up talking to those two young women outside the bar shortly before closing. What we don't know is where Brian went after that. And if he wasn't in the bar after closing, like, how did he end up leaving? Yeah, that's that's weird because, like you said, like, there's security cameras everywhere so in theory if if no one saw him leaving it would have been on the cameras you would think Right, you would think so, right. But again, like, this bar and this bar mall of sorts is covered in security camera video, and police, who have combed through every single second of these security videos, are racking their brains trying to figure out how he left, because that escalator, like the one that we were just looking at, was the only entrance or exit customers could use to get to and from the bar. And after hours of looking through and analyzing the content of this video, they say with 100% certainty that there is no way that he left this way. Yeah, that's that's weird. <laughs> I yeah. mean, like I think of the the missing person cases that I've covered and that's always such a crucial point in mm. the investigation mm-hmm. is when was the last time this person was seen? Oh yeah, who was the last person to see them, right? And mm-hmm. what was the point at which it was realized that they like were not accounted for? Right. You know, mm-hmm. and this is basically that point of like, well, if he didn't leave or there's no known evidence of him leaving, how did he leave? Because he had to have left. You know, it's right. not it's not like the bar staff just like yeah. had had him in the back and wasn't telling anybody. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, that's where my mind goes, right? If it's like if there's no evidence of of him leaving the bar, like clearly the freaking bar staff like like you know, like you said, like held him captive somewhere, but like that obviously didn't happen. Like to be clear, like you know, again, like, not accusing <laughs> the bar of anything. Like that there's no that did not happen. And so, like, I, like, yeah, like, totally, 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 totally valid point there of, like, okay, if, if you can't pinpoint the exact moment where they, you know, wandered off into the world and was never seen again, like, that is such a huge problem for your investigation because, like, sure, like, you have this video of them where, like, he was last seen, like, okay, sure, but, like, then, like, his movements are so unclear and, like, if you can't find, if you can't find any trace of him beyond, like, where he was last seen, where like he obviously should have left like that is a problem well it's not like people just vanish into thin air right people don't just go poof they're gone like right and like that's and if from an investigative standpoint like you know like you can't do anything with that right and but like as far as we're concerned like like from the evidence that we have right now like that's what it seems to be you know what i mean but like that that's obviously didn't happen i've always wondered too how tough it is for like police and investigators to like wrap their brains around being able to basically tell the family or release the information Mm -hmm. after like they've had time to look into it like having to approach 
people and be like, so we looked at everything and um, we have no idea where he went. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's wild. Like, how, how does someone just, like, go unaccounted for? And two, I have to say as well, because, like, from, an, from a police perspective, like, to give them a whole bunch of credit here, like, they're dealing with a bunch of people who, like, you know, are, like, heavily intoxicated, you know, out of their minds, you know, up until 2.30 in the morning, right? Like, oh, sure. you know, like, probably drinking all night. And so, like, very, 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 very unreliable witnesses here. And so I can't imagine, like, you know, that they're getting much of anywhere, right? You know, like, I, maybe bar staff or help, but like I'm like again like packed bar like they're not keeping track of every single person that's in there yeah and it's always crazy to see how much like when a person isn't found how much like the municipality comes out of whatever Mm. town or city that is and they're like this person is missing, you know? Um, I mean, yeah. did that happen where Brian was at all? Um, yes, a, a, a good bit. And, like, even, like, 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 like fast-forwarding, like, way ahead, like, the FBI is even involved um, because of, like, the, like, wide-scale or um, wide-scale, like, you know, search for this guy. Um, you know, like, that, like, that's how, like, far this investigation had gone. And so it certainly didn't, you know, stay in the city of Columbus by any means. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, when you get, everyone knows, like, the further you get away in time from the point oh, yeah. at which the person went missing the less likely it is they're they're yeah. going to be found alive and you know it's crazy too because i because i you know the like the unspoken you know fake rule of like you know you have to wait 24 hours um to report someone missing um you know it's it's that's not a rule by the way like that's that doesn't exist um but like also too like like um like what i was i was reading like very very recently about how um like the like the reason that myth kind of came about was because that is was actually an FBI policy of like you oh. like like you can't get the FBI involved until that person's oh. been missing for 24 hours. I see. Um, because then it's much more likely that they went out of state. Um and so like certainly in this in this oh. type of scenario. Yeah, oh absolutely. I mean it, it could only take a couple of hours to get out of state limits. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, and and on top of that too, you know, Melissa, the city of Columbus is a highly surveilled city. The city has more security cameras than the cities of Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Toledo combined. Police even search through security video of surrounding bars and restaurants, and there's no sign of Brian there either. Police do end up floating a couple of possibilities about how Brian could have evaded the cameras. The first is the idea that Brian may have changed clothes inside of the bar and put on a hat to keep his head down to leave discreetly, but even in this theory, police said it's unlikely because, like I said, they analyzed every single second of these videos, and every single person at the Ugly Tuna Saloon that night was accounted for entering and exiting the bar, except for Brian. So the first thing that comes to my mind here is I've sat in on enough trials and enough court cases to know that surveillance camera is not as reliable as we would probably hope it to be. Mm. Um, It's, as we've all seen, you know, when you see it on the news, that's the quality of video we're working with. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pixelated. <laughs> yeah, it is it's laggy. It's not much better than that. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah it's true. not like the news like makes it look like that. Like yeah. that. That is what police are working with in terms of mm-hmm. looking for people. So it's pixelated. The colors are not very accurate. It lags. Um, yeah, and certainly in 2006, like even more truth than that, right? Probably, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's almost 20 years ago at this point. Right. So. Right. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I thought of, too, like, you know how when, the you know, bars close, everyone leaves in a pack. Like, the whole bar, Mm -hmm. like, 
everyone leaves at once. So it's possible that he could have been smushed into a crowd and so, not really noticeable. Yeah. I mean, I do say, I will say, you know, they're like the, the investigators like speak positively enough about like what 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 I was just saying about how they were like nope there's no way he he left like like uh, we counted every single person and so like and even described to the point of like you know they were like okay like this dude in like this shirt like you know in this hat like in this color clothing okay let's track him make sure that he actually leaves okay this dude leaves and like literally is like tracking like every single person and like they spent hours like combing through all of this to be able to say that and like again like they like speak so publicly and positively that like they account for like they looked at every single person every single face that walked into the bar that night and said for sure that every single one of those people left the bar that night except for brian um and so like if they're like like they made a point to mention that and so i guess i put enough credence into that to be able to say that but i do agree with you of like okay how can you say that for so sure but if they can say it so positively then i have to kind of be like okay maybe you know they they have a really good point but still i mean Mm. Yeah, I've never sat down and tried to count hundreds of people walking in and <laughs> yeah. out of a bar right, on surveillance fair. video. Yeah, But just from what I've seen of surveillance video, I'm sure that you can get pretty close to 100% certainty. Yeah. Mm. But I, I mean, who knows? Again, yeah. I'm not a police officer and I am yeah. not discrediting their work by any yeah. means. Right, right. Um, again, like I said, the quality of technology they're working with is not their fault and it's challenging. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm hesitant to say 100% certainty yeah. is reliable. And I also say too, because like, I know enough cops to, and like lawyers and all that stuff to say that like they never say 100% certainty. Sure, sure, and sure. And so like to, for that, like they always like leave a little bit of room for like, of no, course. yeah, we're like pretty sure, but like not 100%. So like, but, like, they said, like, they're confident. And so, well, like, I, you know, put it, you know, okay, like, if you say so, like, you know, I don't know. That, like, it, just because I know that that's how they talk. So, like, it's like, yeah. if, if you say that it's 100%, then okay, I believe you that it's The 100%. only thing that helps them in this case is how tall he was. Yeah, um, right. Because tall people, as a fellow tall person, I am almost six <laughs> foot tall. Um, we do tend to stand out. Stand out, yeah, yeah. Fair, at a bar, yeah. we're easy yeah. to find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And uh, you know, I you know, I also have to say too, because because this theory kind of came out of left field, um, only because it's like like it's going off of the assumption that like he may like he may have like planned this like whole elaborate scheme, um, to like exit the bar like under like you know like to like escape right like because if he like you know brought a change of clothes with like i was like i never saw like a change of clothes like in his hands like in any of those security videos so like sure that's a little hard for me to believe but like still the fact that even that they even went there like makes me think that like they're assuming at this point that he like left to like escape to go missing right instead of like you know to to you know whatever happened like a bad thing happened to him like he did this by himself yeah i don't buy it i don't think that yeah, i mean no, I, me I i get them putting it out there as a possibility because they need to evaluate yeah. all options sure. but i don't think that that's what would have happened yeah yeah I, yeah and it's a little yeah definitely unlikely and we're gonna get there a little bit later on and so we'll, we'll definitely revisit that um but the second theory you know is a bit more of a likely one according to them but one police that you know, say that they're still really unsure about they said that brian simply could have left as normal that night but maybe the cameras just simply missed him the cameras in that we're talking about here i guess either automatically pan the area that they're set on or they're controlled manually 
recently. So I guess this theory that they're talking about says that the moment that Brian happened to leave the bar, the cameras just happened to be like not in the position to capture him, which to me says one of two things, or maybe possibly even both. Either this was like the biggest freaking coincidence on the planet, like the absolute like perfect set of circumstances um, that all of these cameras were in the perfect position at the perfect time to miss the exit of the only person who went missing from that bar that night, or that Brian was able to like intentionally avoid all these cameras by slipping out when he was just out of view, like super spy style, but even in you know in either of those just seems to be incredibly unlikely because you know i read at some point that the cameras were like hidden into the ceilings like kind of like those dome cameras and like how would brian know how to avoid all of them like so conveniently and so skillfully like that just doesn't sit well with me well and especially when intoxicated yeah right, right, right. <laughs> it's yeah, not yeah. like you're going to be like pinpointing okay and yeah. go <laughs> right, right you know and like it's like and it's like it seems like just like such a like an elaborate scheme again for someone who like has been has been drinking all night and for like you know there's really no reason that anyone has like assumed that he like wanted to go missing and like escape into the night well you know i don't know i don't know how much the cameras pan and if they totally like shave off like part of the shot to the point Mm -hmm. that it could have you know i don't know and i didn't see like an I've again I've watched that security of the camera video like over and over and over again like they never move I don't know I guess like it's always like that same exact frame so I don't hmm. know it, that, that just fe- seems really far-fetched and I don't really like this kind of seemed to come out of left field for me of like like oh they move like okay like I don't know it just it just felt odd and like I'm sure they do like I'm sure they move like they have to um but like it just I don't know it just doesn't feel right it doesn't feel like again it just came out of left field of like like, why, like, I never saw any, like, evidence that they moved. Like, it just seems very b- bizarre to me. But that's what they t- were talking about, so. Well, yeah, and like you said, I mean, what are the odds that the one no, yeah. the one guy that goes missing was out right. of out of the shot? <laughs> Simply because of, like, a camera issue. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, just doesn't, doesn't feel right to me at all. Um, but there is one more theory about what may have happened that night. And unfortunately, it's probably the most likely option. All right, Melissa. So we have like so much to talk about wine wise. Um, so how is this going down for you? Well, so I was just noticing that the fruit flavors mm-hmm. are coming through a little bit more. Um, I know you said you're getting the black cherry oh, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah, and so, and uh, what I'm really appreciating about this wine too is like the bold, because like, like I love like bold reds and I like subtle whites. Um, and so this is definitely giving bold, bold, bold red and like, but like heavy, 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 heavy on the fruit flavors too, um, which like should have been expected. Yeah, but. no, I'm liking it a lot. Um, it's not as, I, I don't know how, what would you say on a scale of one to 10, how dry would you say it is? Oh, it's definitely on the fruitier end of the scale. Right. It's like. That's what I it's was like going to say. It's like a drier, fruity, for sure. Like, it's definitely, it's definitely not, like, as dry as, like, a cab or, a, like, a Malbec or whatever. Um, but it's definitely, so, but, it, but like, I think, I don't know. Let me, because I think, like, the heavy fruit flavors is kind of throwing me off a little bit. Yeah, I would probably, yeah, I would probably say on a scale of 1 to 10, probably, like, a 4 on the dry scale. Yeah, it. I was going to say, like, 5 or 6 um, yeah, for me. Yeah. But that's, I mean, 
it's um it's not as dry now as it was when we started mm. because the fruit is oh, yeah. coming through more. So I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, it's not just tannins and oak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, so I, yeah, and because and, I, like, you know, I very much so, you know, when I, when I drink red wine, I like to just, like, relax and just, like, sit back and do whatever. Like, for the night, like, usually put on a movie, whatever. Um, this, I have, like, a really strong suspicion that, like, you know, once I start drinking this, like, it's going to be, like, you know, a lot more of, like, my energy start going to flow a lot more because I'm starting to feel that. Usually when I drink reds, I am, like, okay, ready to go to bed. Like, good night, right. bye. Definitely. Um, I'm not getting this. This yeah. is a perfect summer wine for red. Mm. Because mm-hmm. summer, we think of whites, we think of light and, you know, but this, it's it's a, an art to find a good red wine for summer, <laughs> yeah. I feel. Yeah. Um, so this is a good summer red. I think. Yeah, and it's not too heavy too, which I feel like you know is the problem with reds. Um, in in the summer, is that they're too heavy, and then it's just like you know ruins it, and it just like sours too quickly. I could totally see myself like on the porch, you know, with a with a glass of this for sure. So yeah, you're definitely on track for that. I it's making me want a charcuterie board really bad. Mm. <laughs> I would love to have like some. Some really good seasoned crackers, you know, and then some some prosciutto and then some fresh fruit to put on there. Perfect for this. Oh, my God, Melissa, you're talking, you're speaking my language. I think we should pause and like, you know, go grab that really fast and then return. What do you think? I'm going to need to go to the grocery store. (laughs) I don't have those things. (laughs) But no, I do. Oh, man. I do like nothing I love more than than a good charcuterie board. <laughs> love that love that <laughs> well i do think we should get back to brian's story because like so much to talk about so much to talk about what do you think yeah absolutely i want to know all these theories about what might have happened because yeah you know a missing person it's like what where'd they go the possibilities are endless and certainly in this story possibilities are like even more than that so um the final theory that i do have to talk about about how brian could have exited the ugly tuna saluna unseen that night is that he possibly could have exited through a service entrance that police were able to determine had no cameras pointed at it at all. Now, this feels like the most logical explanation, but it's still a little out there, and let me tell you why that is, Melissa. Because this entrance wasn't even really, like, for employees of this plaza at all. It was more so, like, an emergency exit of sorts, but basically, it's this labyrinth of hallways and staircases and an elevator, even, that would have led Brian to the first floor and then through this service exit that at the time, led right out to a construction site. And police said this path and the construction site would have been really difficult to navigate sober, but not entirely impossible, but still, like, you would have had to know where you're going. But ultimately, they said it was highly improbable that he used this exit on his own, because how would he have known, like, how to access it, or, like, even to use it, how to use it at all? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, Two, he would have had to known where it was. Right, exactly. I mean, I've yep. never been in this bar, but usually those kinds of exits are not in plain sight you know? Yeah, and, like, service exit, like, is probably the best way to describe it, like, simply because it's kind of, it's, like, from 
again, what I'm seeing, it's kind of like a temporary exit kind of thing. Like, it's not like, like this was at one point, like an employee exit or like, you know, at one point, like some sort of exit, like this was like, they were building onto it. And like, the like, this was how like people who needed to get to that construction site, like were able to get there. So one, one question I had was since you had to go up an escalator to get to said bar, is this, I mean, it's on a second story, obviously, mm-hmm. I would think. So a service right. exit, like, how does that work on a second level? Do you, you have to go downstairs at some point? So, yeah. So, like I said, so so you have to kind of, like, go down these hallways, and then you have to get onto an elevator. Oh, um, oh, to oh, get oh. Down. Okay, I missed yeah, that yeah. part. So, well, no, no, but, like, really important to note that. So thanks so much for saying that. Because, again, like, like how, like how would he have known to get down this hallway? And, like, again still be like not picked up by by um by security cameras at all um because like you like it's still like there's like these security cameras that go onto the exit or the entrance of this bar um so like he would have had to go all the all the way down these hallways known to get onto the elevator go down i would imagine you have to go down even more hallways to get out this exit door to go through this construction site to get onto the street Instead of just going down the frickin' escalator. Yeah. Especially if he was drunk. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It sounds like... Well, and it's so scary what can happen, like, when you're drunk, mm. too. I mean... Yeah. Well, and, like, too, like, I think about so many, like, different cases that I've read about where, like, you know, where it's, like, you're drinking, like, whatever. Like, maybe, like, someone slipped something into you. Like, point being is that, like, your, like, your mind is altered. And, like, you just, like, start chatting with people. Like, I know, like, I'm, like, a very, like, you know, like, you know me, Melissa. Like, I'm a very strong extrovert. And so, like, you know, me out and about, like, you know, put a couple of drinks in yeah, me. Like, I'll I'm make friends same. with anybody. Yeah, I'm far yeah. far too trusting of strangers yeah, <laughs> in those right, situations. Exactly. exactly. And so, like, you go, like, you know, if you, like, meet somebody and, like, they're, they're just like, hey, you know, like, like let me, like, I have this really, like, really cool car, you know? And it's like, oh, we've, we've been chatting for, like, like, you know, it felt like three hours, but like in reality, it's been three minutes. Um, they're like, yeah, let me go like, you know, check out this dude's car. And he says he like the only way to get there is like down this elevator and whatever. <laughs> like, you know, but I'm like, it, but like, it sounds ridiculous. But like, you know, in reality, like, in those oh, no, it could totally like, happen. It could totally happen. And that's where my mind goes at this point. Like, like, what else makes sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, well, I mean, it's interesting to think about too, Brian being like this big, tough guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a woman, so I, I wonder if it's like a different experience for a more, yeah. a more feminine person versus someone it's like, true. someone like Brian sounds more masculine. And I feel like when I see drunk guys in their twenties, they're more like, quick to cut things off oh yeah you know well yeah because like frankly like you know you're less like 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 people like us right like like that like uh, like you know we've probably been in like a situation or two and like have our guards up to a certain extent because like you know i know like you're like way tougher than i am melissa but like like <laughs> i know that like i like if somebody tries to do something to me like i don't stand a chance but like someone like him i'm sure like frankly first of all has never been in that situation and second of all like you know even if they were like they could probably defend themselves but like not if they're drunk not if they've been drugs like you know all these like things true so yeah i'm sure they do feel a little bit more confident you know to a, to a certain extent and even we have to address this even if someone were to have killed brian let's say someone did he mm-hmm. is not a light person to carry right yeah so true he's yeah, a yeah. he's no, a very, big very dude like yeah Right. So exactly. And so that's why, you know, again, like, you know, the, like, the, like, I think it's very obvious that like whatever happened to him happened outside of the bar. 
Yeah. Okay. Right. Like happened in some place that like nobody was able to see. Yeah. For that, for exactly what you're talking you, about. Yeah. It would have been noticed by somebody inside yeah. the bar. Yeah, for sure. So Brian's odd mystery left police with really not a whole lot of places to focus their investigation. Sure, Brian was last seen at the bar, but there was no sign of him there. On top of that, Brian's cell phone, credit card, and bank records all hadn't been touched since the night he was missing. So they check hospitals and homeless shelters and look through dumpsters in the city dump. The city even even gave police permission to search through the sewer lines, but there was no sign of Brian anywhere. By May, it didn't really seem like they were any closer to finding Brian than the night that he had went missing. In the meantime, Brian's father and brother were distraught and confused. There was a small glimmer of hope, though, of a clue in May when Brian's apartment was broken into. I, I just feel like this is... I don't know. I, 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 what are the odds that like, okay, person goes missing and then their apartment gets broken into? Right. Like, no. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, obviously has to be like, like that to me is like, oh my God. Like, hello. Like, whatever was going <gasps> on. And like, too, I think like, just like to pause there too, because I think, you know, like as much as you know somebody, first of all, you never really know somebody 100%, right? Um, but like, you know, as much as you, as you think you know somebody, whatever, like you don't know like what is going on like in their apartment, in their space, right? And so like, I think, I just think that's like so intimate. Right. And so like, like, you don't know like what's going on in their drawers. You don't know what's going on, you know, in that closet and that weird, you know, like thing like on top of the closet that you just like assume was whatever. And so like point being is that like, you know, when this kind of thing happens, like, like my mind goes to like, 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 what was he like, you know, doing behind closed doors? Because like you said, like, what the heck are the odds that someone goes missing and also has their their apartment broken into, let alone like, what are the odds that like either of those two things happen, like, let alone both? So where my mind goes to at this part is um, if Brian, and I don't know, you know more about the case, like, was Brian well off financially? Because if someone wanted to gain something, you kill said person and then you rob them and then you have no, no one to report said robbing. Right. And, you know, I also just have to, like, point this out, too, only and like, uh, like, this is like is going to sound accusatory, but it's really not like, uh, like, I just feel like it's just like a very, like, good general generalization, like, the like everyone who I've ever met who's been in nursing, who's been in, you know, medical fields, like those are the, like, like exclusively like the people who I know who like are into drugs, like for whatever reason, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they are the ones like, like those people always vape, like they always like, you know, are smoking weed, like they're always doing like the hardest drugs ever imagined, which is just like the complete opposite of what you would imagine. Absolutely. I never read that yeah. like Brian was into all that too, but like, you know, that's where my mind goes. Like, you know, maybe. Maybe he did kind of get involved with the wrong person on that front and like, like, you know, like they made him disappear and like they broke into his apartment because he took something that he wasn't supposed to, like, even if it was just an accident, you know? I would not doubt it, especially being in medical school and being at the end yeah. of a semester. Um, so long story mm. short, my boyfriend right now, he went through medical school. He's not in um, the medical profession anymore. Um, he decided to change gears um, and he's didn't end up becoming a doctor and he found a different path. 
But he did talk about how stressful medical school can be. And oh, yeah, just the, sure. the amount of pressure with like the tests and all the information that you have to know and the competitive nature of getting into the residency program you want yeah. or pass, oh, passing certain exams. And a lot of the stories I've heard is that, yeah, drugs are definitely the norm among medical school, not just medical um, workers, like you were saying, doctors and nurses, but specifically the students because of all the mm-hmm. pressure to just pass their exams right. and pass their classes. It's like Adderall, weed, like what, yeah. what, whatever you got to do to get through your exams, like they will do it. <laughs> yeah. And like, again, I never saw a, a thing, like a word written about like Brian being involved in that world at all. But like point being is that like this is the reputation, you know what I mean? So it's like it wouldn't surprise me if like that was the motivation here somehow. Yeah, so. I mean I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't rule it out. Um just because right. when it comes to like illegal drugs when there's like dealing on the side and stuff like that, it's just it's scary how quickly Mm -hmm. people can turn from what i've heard yeah from what i've heard yeah well uh, so like you know it's not even like totally clear that like any that like these that this person took anything from brian's apartment but somehow police were able to determine that this was totally unrelated to brian's disappearance which feels odd to me only because like again like like what are the odds that you go missing and you're the victim of a random break-in. Like, frankly, like, like, what are the odds that, like, either of those two things happen to let you, to like, to you, like, let alone, like, both of them? But I have to buy it, you know, because, like, what other choice do I have other than to, like, to believe what, like, police are telling us at this point? But it just feels like Brian's having some, like, really bad luck crime-wise anyways. Yeah, definitely. That seems odd. Maybe whoever broke in, like, they had a certain motivation. They were looking for one item or one thing, and that thing wasn't there. And and again, I go back to, like, the fact that, like, you, like, really don't know anybody, and, like, like, you really don't know, like, what goes on in, like, the privacy of their own home. And so, yeah, like, you know, but, like, and to your point, like, maybe, like, they were looking for that one thing that, like, nobody knew that he had. Brian's soon-to-be fiance, Alex, had told Dateline that she was visiting Brian's apartment every single night, hoping that he somehow made his way home. She said she would get there, see no one was home again, and just lay on his bed and cry. And again, this, like, you know, took place for months. And she was also calling him every chance that she got. But each and every time, the calls went straight to voicemail, until one night in September, about five months after Brian went missing, when suddenly the phone started to ring. And Alex stood there on the other line, her heart beating out of her chest. She was holding her breath, but then it went to voicemail. Still, though, that is like a huge, you know, thing that this, you know, this means that his phone is on, right? So Alex runs to Brian's father and to police who go to Brian's cell phone company, which replies saying that this was more than likely a computer error and that Brian's phone is still off and disconnected and the call going through was just a fluke. Ugh, that would drive me so crazy. Oh, yeah. If I was Alex, I would be like, oh, my God. Oh, it's connecting. And then there's nothing to derive out of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, imagine the hope that she just had for, like, something. So, Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, and two, I mean, so initially, like, hearing that, it's like, well, something had to have 
happened. Like Brian's phone needed to have been on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, like this is talking about like 2006 kind of cell phone True. technology. And so True. like it's, you know, it's not working necessarily off of like Wi-Fi and stuff. It's simply just working off the cell towers. Um, And so like the signal like is pretty much, re- it's, it's relying pretty much exclusively on that signal. So back then, I mean, were they able to like still ping it though, right? They were actually able to ping the phone. Brian's phone pinged in Hillard, Ohio, which is about 14 miles northwest of Columbus. Now, I have to imagine they followed up on this anyways, but I haven't seen a thing more than that. So I'm going to safely assume that this was probably yet another dead end, but... Mm, like, I don't know. Like, my brain goes in all sorts of different directions when I hear that. So, so nothing was found in Hillard, Ohio. Um, I will say, so I've, I, so the way that cell towers work, I, again, I, I am not an expert on cell phone signals, but like your phone can ping to a tower that's a few miles away from you. Oh, yeah. You know, so just because his po- his phone pinged in Hillard, Ohio, doesn't right. mean he was in Hillard, Ohio. Yeah, and like again, like a lot like fewer um, you know cell phone towers back then than there are now. But like the like because to your point, like it's it's the closest cell phone tower that covers that area, and so oh, sure, sure, you know sure. there may have been a, a closer cell phone tower that just was like pointed in the other direction um you know because and because that i mean that that's just how those things work and right so, like that must have just been covering the you know the you know, and again it could have been like covering the whole 14 mile you know radius of you know going down to columbus um but i mean that that's where the cell phone tower was so so brian's family worked tirelessly to make sure that no one forgot about brian's disappearance they covered the city in missing persons flyers and brian's dad talked openly and honestly with reporters, anything to make sure as many people as possible had seen Brian's face and knew that people who loved and cared about him were looking for him. His story had really taken off at this point, garnering national headlines of the well-off med student who vanished into thin air inside a college bar in Columbus, Ohio. And when these types of bizarre mysteries happen, people come out of the woodwork look trying to help. And one day, Brian's dad gets a call from a psychic saying that she knows exactly where Brian is and that would open up a totally different door for everyone involved. The psychic has an oddly specific tip. The psychic tells Brian's dad that she knows that Brian is dead and that his body is being held underwater by the suction effect that takes place at the post of a bridge. Now, at the time of Brian's disappearance, he lived just a few blocks over from the Olatangi River, and the Ugly Tuna Saluna wasn't far from that either. So Brian's dad and his brother Derek bought fishing waders to search the bases of bridge that crossed the river, Brian's dad apparently even almost drowned himself trying to see if his son's body had been held underwater all this time, but they found absolutely nothing. Well, first of all, kudos to them for not, like, asking law enforcement to go out and do it and just, like, doing it themselves. That's insane. I mean, not to say that, because I thought if if I would have been in this situation, I would have told the police and I would have been like, hey, I don't know if y'all have, like, a dive team or, like, Mm. if you can call a dive team, but um, 
I don't know how to navigate water, so can can <laughs> yeah, can, can you please mm-hmm. find some law enforcement that knows how yeah. to go like diving, basically? Yeah, um, yeah, and like also too, because like I would say, you know, like police, like you know, would probably hear like a tip from a psychic, and like if if they call this in and be like, like, there's no way I'm going, like, like dispatching an entire dive team sure. to like, go search this water off of a psychic, but like a surprising number of these cases like you know relies on that type of stuff and so like uh, like you know like you'd be shocked like frankly i just did like a couple weeks ago like i did the joseph sorelli case and like they you know did this whole thing based on like what a what a psychic told them and so i guess like psychics are like you know you know uh, more relied upon you know sources of a source of information than you would think but yeah i I, th- I had that same thought too like if you were to call up the police and say hey i have this tip from a psychic they would probably say <laughs> yeah. um Laugh you off, yeah, yeah no thanks but but at the same time i mean if what do you have to lose yeah, yeah. if you have no other leads and you have nothing else to pursue in terms of looking for this person I don't yeah, know. Why not? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I try to like put myself into their shoes because like, listen, like I am a huge believer in psychics, but I also have like read like way too much about like these psychics who just like scam people to like ever like put any sort of stake into like their like especially when that just calls you out of the blue right like like and i'm sure his number wasn't like on like every single one of those missing persons flyers like there's like i like i'm like way too much of a skeptic to like even be able to do that but at the same time i'm like i definitely believe in psychics so like like maybe like maybe we should do that so i don't know my brain goes back and forth so i'm a psychic non-believer i don't i I don't want (laughs) to say that it can't be true like i i want to believe that they can have some way to you know see into the future and like be able to see these things but uh, i just i can't bring myself to buy it and i don't know if that's just because i'm too much of a realist or whatever the reason may be maybe i'm a skeptic just in general and i always have a negative outlook on things i don't know but you know this bizarre tip takes us to a really interesting theory melissa and a theory that like i have like so much to talk about um you know i just have to tell you about this theory so it introduces us to a mysterious yet unknown serial killer that could have had something to do with brian's death so first of all i love serial killers not not really but like love the storyline um (laughs) (laughs) this theory about brian though what is the theory behind who this serial killer may have been well the serial killer or at least what that's what the proponents of this theory call them has never been pinpointed as one specific person but they are called the smiley face killer and here's the story behind them the smiley face killer theory was introduced by two retired new york city police department detectives they spent 10 years investigating scenes of apparent drownings across the midwest at the time they were looking at about 45 cases but to Today, more than a hundred are on their list, and they believe there could be as many as 250 more from the late 1990s to 200 to 2010s. This so-called killer is said to have preyed upon drunk college men across the Midwest, killed them, and tossed their bodies into local rivers to make it look as though they had gotten too drunk 
fell into the river and drowned. The men were often leaving parties or bars where they had been drinking heavily and were more than often than not uh, described as popular, athletic, and successful students, most of whom were white. Most of the men had GHB in their system, a colorless, odorless liquid depressant. The drug accounted for more than 200 deaths from 1996 to 2005. The detectives proposed that the men were not victims of drownings at all, but instead were drugged, possibly raped, and dumped into the river, which would wash away most DNA and other evidence that could tie the crime back to the perpetrator. The reason this killer is called the smiley face killer is because in all of the cases that the detectives identified as part of their investigation, there was a smiley face spray-painted near where police believe the men entered the river, based on calculations which took currents, weights, and other factors into consideration. That's absolutely insane. Insane theory. Also believable. <laughs> yeah. In my head, I'm like, okay, like, if certainly if there was one person going around killing more than 200 people, like, we probably would have caught them by now, at least I would hope. But what are the odds that that 250 people, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think 45, I feel like, good, feels like a good number. Like, I feel like if if that's what the case is, like, if if they're saying, like, you know, for, like 40-ish people, you know, drowned and, like, you know, this this guy or this person or this pe- these people, you know, had something to do with their death. Like, sure, like, I, like, I feel like that is, like, a solid n- 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 number of people that, like, we're just, like... Like, you know, because presumably, like, half of them, you know, were just immediately discounted as, you know, accidents. You know, maybe the other half, um, you know, were, you know, you know, you know, looked at as accidents, but like, or looked at as, you know, possible homicides, but like eventually, you know, determined to be accidents. I mean, for me, it's just weird that, um, most of the men were the same type. So they were popular, mm-hmm. athletic, mm-hmm. successful students. Which who, screams serial killer to me. Which right. were white, yeah, because we know serial killers prefer a type of victim. Right. And then that most of those men of that specific aesthetic had GHB in their system. Like, that's what are the odds that. Those right. two things line up. Like my brain also goes to like like what are the like what type of person do you think of like like getting like way too drunk and like st- like going to go like adventure down to the river and like falling in and dying like by accident? You know what I mean? Like like this feels like stereotyping, but like odds are it's probably like you know college age white kid, well off, super popular, like super outgoing. So like, I feel like that could happen to anybody, but yeah, you're probably right. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I I just feel like odds are it's probably like that kind of kid. You sure. Know what I mean, where like where this kind of thing happens. So like, I feel like it probably is like again, like I can't say this with say this with any sort of certainty, but like I do feel like it probably is like much more likely that the, that that type of person like, would die by accident, like in this way. But then also too, like my other my other thought goes to so like. Like, we're talking about, like, you know, drownings in, like, major bodies of water, um, and, like, there was, like, a smiley face, like, graffitied nearby, like, where this person, like, may or may not have went into the river, um, or this body of water. Like, my brain also goes to, like, you know, like, typically, again, and this is, like, like, all of this is all super generalized, so, like, take it as you you want to, um, but, like, typically, you know, if you, like, like nearby like in these types of places like there are a lot of graffiti 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, like what are the odds that like that like in those types of places like a smiley face just happens to be graffitied? Right. That's what I was gonna say too. And I wonder if it was a specific style of smiley face because yeah. what was it just like two dots for eyes and like a line for a smile or did it have yeah. a circle around it to make a face like yeah and i haven't seen pictures of these smiley faces but i have like read that they are like different types of smiley faces oh. like in all different forms like some of them are similar some of them aren't but like also like how many different ways can you like do a smiley face, face? So, yeah yeah, I don't know. Like, look, I don't know. As much as I want, again, I want this, like, theory to be true so badly because I think that is, like, so fascinating. Like, not that I want people to, like, die because of it, obviously, but, like, just, again, like, you know, just looking back in all these cases, like, I think, like, a smiley face killer would be so interesting to study. But I think there are a lot of holes to poke in. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, the FBI has pushed back against this whole theory, saying there is nothing that they have found in almost any of these cases that have pointed them in any direction besides accidental drownings. And if these detectives' theory was true, then Brian Schaefer would be the only victim of this supposed serial killer whose body has never Hmm. been found. I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, okay, I see the point there. Okay, well, now I don't believe the theory as much of the smiley face killer. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, you you would... Because, again, going back to what you were saying before, like, bodies float. And so at some point, like, again, like, if we're to assume that he was put in the river somehow, like, you know, what, 17 years later, like, we would have found him? You would think. You would think. Unless the psychic was right and that body really just was held up against held a post. Over there. Yeah. I can't even think about that. I don't even want to, like, these kinds of stories make me really want to never want to get in a body of water, like, ever again. So, um, (laughs) the Schaefer family tragedy, unfortunately, did not end there, though. In 2008, more than two years after Brian's disappearance, his father died in this really freak accident. He was outside of his home during a windstorm when a branch broke off and landed right on top of him and killed him, leaving Brian's younger brother Derek as the only surviving member of the family. And if there were still any rumors that Brian may have been still out there living a new life, what happens next certainly did nothing to extinguish those thoughts. When Brian's father died, an online memorial page was created for memories and well wishes to be posted about him, and one post in particular stands out. It's a post from someone who says they're in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and it's signed to dad love Brian. (sighs) You know, I really wish I was a better person, but my first thought is just, it's some internet sleuth pulling someone's leg, you know? Right. Right. And, like, but, like, too, like, enough to, like, you know, make the family be like, uh, like, hello, like, this is, Oh, of course. Like, you know, to, to stand out. But, you know, police were able to determine that this post was actually all a hoax. Some sick jerk on the internet who was actually in Franklin County, Ohio, and not the U.S. Virgin Islands decided this was funny, and it was not actually written by the real Brian Schaefer. Not surprising. Um, which sucks because like why are people out on the internet doing that like pulling at people's heartstrings like homeboy is missing why would you do that that's mean right 
Right. Friends, family, and detectives who all watched as Brian's father painstakingly fought tooth and bone to find out where Brian went vowed to continue that fight and to find those answers for Brian and his family. But years later, that is basically where things stand with Brian Schaefer's investigation. There have been some occasional tests from people who thought that they saw Brian, but every single one turned out to be totally bogus. But all of the years later, this bizarre mystery has turned up several theories about what may have actually happened to Brian Schaefer. The most prolific theory about what happened to Brian Schaefer is still the smiley face killer theory, and we barely scratched the surface on that theory, so maybe we'll, like, have to have Melissa back on to do an episode just on the smiley face killer. Like, let us know in the comments if that's what you want. Investigators on Brian's case have told reporters that they have three main theories about what may have happened to Brian, but didn't go into detail about what those theories are, citing the open and ongoing investigation. But here are two other theories that were born mostly on the internet about Brian. The first and the simplest is that Brian went off to start a new life. He was clearly distraught about his mother's passing, and supporters of this theory say it's the only logical explanation as to how he could have left the bar that night inconspicuously and never be seen ever again. I I feel like this is possible, but I also kind of doubt it. Um, yeah. Just because the amount of calculation that I feel like would have to go into, like, starting a new life and not being tracked down. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was 2006, but we still had phones. I mean, they were still... Yeah. Technology was... Bank records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. technology was advanced enough. I mean, like, law enforcement had, you know, advanced enough tactics by that point that... I feel like he would have been found unless he like literally went to like some place that doesn't communicate with the U.S. Like yeah, Sweden, like Mexico. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah right, right. Yeah, no. You, that, I mean, that's a good point. But like, still, like, you I doubt it. You, I doubt it. Yeah, like he would have picked, been picked up at some point. So, but you know, I, personally, I am not one at all to buy into any theory that anyone just you know runs off into the world to start a new life for themselves. Especially not someone like Brian, who seemed like everything was going so well for him. But I will play devil's advocate here just a little bit, only because I think there's a decent narrative that could give this theory some life. Brian's mom had just died, and he was clearly taking it very badly, and I also think back to him potentially flirting with those college girls, too. I do think there's a chance that maybe his mother's death made him realize that the life he was living wasn't necessarily what he had imagined for himself. I read that he was a real tropical guy, you know, longing to live at the beach, and so maybe this major life change of losing a parent shook him a little bit, and he started having some second thoughts about marrying Adam. Alex. But at the same time, if that was the case, they're not married. So if he was really thinking this way, it feels like he could just break up with her, right? And do whatever he wanted from there. Like, zero hoops to jump through. 
But let's go down a different rabbit hole. Maybe it had nothing to do with Alex at all. Maybe it was something totally different. It did seem like he was spending this last night before he vanished, you know, with everyone left in his life who he cared about, right? He had this really nice dinner with his father where he seemed a little off and tired. He went out partying with his best friend. He called his girlfriend. And he even tried to get his little brother to join him, too. Maybe he was planning to leave and was trying to to get one more moment in with everyone he loved before he did that. I don't know. So the thing with that theory that I immediately go to is, wasn't he fairly close with his immediate circle in general? Mm -hmm. Because like, let's say, you know, he probably saw his dad often and had dinner with his dad. Maybe not a nice steak dinner, but still interacted with his father often. So like, People could always point to, like, I mean, literally, if I went missing today, knock on wood, people could be like, oh, well, <laughs> well, she she had a good chat with her boyfriend, and she she had a good, like, day with her coworkers, and, you know, like, people could always point to, oh, well, they were making the most of their last few moments with their people around them. Sure. Because we all interact with the people we're close with on a regular basis. He knows that, like, his dad is, like, in mourning, like, a, a recent widow, And, like, he's still just gonna, like, peace out, you know? And, like, leave him to, like, like, relive this whole different trauma. Well, and and Brian's dad said that Brian seemed tired at the dinner. Yeah, right. So, like, if you're really gonna have a last hoorah, you're not gonna half-ass it. You're gonna... Yeah. You're gonna show up, and you're not gonna seem tired. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, unless like it's just like weighing on you that heavily that you can't even act like yourself. But like, maybe still, like I, I don't, don't even... I don't buy it. I don't buy but it. But I, I, I hear, I totally hear what you're saying. And like, I, I like, I, I again, I don't, I don't think this, I don't think that that doesn't feel right to me. Like, I am just like, yeah, I am not the type of person to like believe that like, like a, the average human being can just like start a new life, you know, and just like without without anyone finding you at all without any sort of trace at all and like he was just like an like an average dude those theories always come up when someone goes missing and it's like i feel yeah. like where that comes from is people want an explanation that this person could still be alive right. like a normal explanation yeah, right yeah, yeah. that they could still be alive and i'm like that that never ends up being the case and you know i i just also feel like like the like the average and especially with like police for whatever reason like because they like want to like portray this like you know this community is safe like these things don't happen here like these things happen in like cities like you know new york and los angeles and chicago and all this stuff like i feel like there is like this natural assumption of like bad things don't happen here and like bad things happen somewhere else and so like there's like this natural like like um you know place to go to of you know they must have just been done with it and just like you know gone off on their own like no 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 like there's no way that somebody did something bad to them because they must have just done it by them done it on their own because bad things don't happen here yeah i don't buy it i think it's yeah i think it's bs bad things happen everywhere and frankly the where where you think bad things don't happen that's where the the bad things are are bound to happen true well so the second theory is really interesting and it requires me to go back just a little bit melissa remember brian's friend clint the one that brian was partying with all night yes i do well the most prolific and 
accusatory theory online points the finger right at Clint. And here's why. In the weeks after Brian's disappearance, police naturally question the people closest to Brian, not only physically, but also emotionally, too. Maybe they ask his dad about what he was like. Maybe they ask his girlfriend about what he was going through. Maybe they ask his brother about if he had any known enemies. And maybe they ask Meredith about what Brian was like in his final hour. And they also ask Clint about that night as a whole, who does tell police this whole story about the bar hopping and the shots, and in fairness, is pretty open to them. Police ask all of those people, except apparently his brother Derek for some reason, to take a lie detector test, and every single person agrees except for Clint. So immediately, that's very suspicious. (laughs) Oh yeah, big time. 100%. But... Also, okay, so Clint, we know, is out for a night. We all know shenanigans can happen when you're out for Mm -hmm. a night. Maybe Clint, we don't know a lot about Clint's life. Maybe he was, like, out when he had lied to his girlfriend about where he was going. Maybe his parents didn't know where he was, like, who he was hanging out with. Like, there could be so many reasons why Clint didn't want to take a lie detector test beyond it having anything to do with Brian. And that's also like, like, frankly, like, again, because I know enough cops, like, that is frankly, like, a little bit of, like, a test of, like, like, okay, like, we're gonna ask, because, like, lie detectors are, frankly, again, like, my, like, everyone who listens to this podcast knows what my opinions on lie detector tests are. Like, lie detector tests are totally fucking bullshit. And so, Oh, you think so? Oh, why? Oh, one- Oh, I have, like, you want to go, like, this is a totally different episode of the podcast, Melissa. But, like, (laughs) first of all, like, they're not even admissible in court. And so, like, what's even the point, right? And so, like, also, like, they're super, like, 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 they're unreliable to the point of, like, like, if you take the test and you're just, like, super nervous, like, you fail. And so, like, what's, like... True. Like, what's even, like, so, point being is that, like, like, I could see that, like, like, just asking, like, just to see, like, who's okay with taking it, who, you know, like, who like act strangely when you do ask them about it like that can be like it, it, the whole point of a lie detector test is to like set police into a direction of this investigation to like like to have you know to to give them a little bit more of an idea of like where to go and so like my point um, the whole point of my of 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 all of saying all this is to say that like like if police ask you to do this like my opinion is like don't freaking take it to begin with but like also like you know from a police perspective like I can see how this is suspicious of like every single other person except for the person who probably saw was the last person to see him alive um is refusing is is accepting to take it except for him. I could also see too because because if he because if he was really drunk that night, like maybe he is just kind of like protecting himself a little bit of like maybe like, I don't know if I'm gonna pass because like I don't really know like if you ask me just about anything like I was so drunk that night that like I don't know if I'll pass. You know I don't know what happened. Maybe Clint did some dumb shit. I mean people do dumb yeah. stuff when they're drunk. You know, but you would think though that like if he was like with Brian the entire night, the entire last night that he was like like around this world right that like he like you like that's the kind of statement that you want you know what i mean and like yes granted like he told like uh, like frankly he told police like every single thing that like we told you about this night like that like his narrative 
is exactly what we all just told you about. Like, that is, like, he he was very forthcoming about this whole type of situation, but, like, just didn't want to take a lie detector test. But at the same time, though, like, for, again, from an investigator perspective, like, you, like, like, if he's, like, one of two people, right, that, like, you know, was with him in his final moments again, presumably alive, then you would think that you would want to know that, like, everything that he was saying was 100% true. And so, true. with that being said, again, like, I have to have enough, like, faith in the police that, like, it wasn't just like, hey, you want to take a lie detector test? No, I don't really think it's really taking a lie detector test. And, like, that was, like, the refusal as opposed to, like, you know, we really need to take a lie detector test. And he's just, like, over and over and over again said, no, 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 no. Mm, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about how likely the Clint theory is, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, look, like, again, like, like, my thing goes to, like, like, this screams to me, like, very sophisticated killer, very sophisticated perpetrator, and, like, Clint does not seem like that kind of guy for me. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Well, since then, people online and even Brian's father and brother both say that this move felt really odd, and they said that they believed Clint knew more than what he was letting on. Whether that was him having something to do with Brian's disappearance, or that he just knew what happened or may have happened, but isn't necessarily being entirely forthcoming with police. Online sleuths have taken this and ran with it, saying they think that Brian may have told Clint where he was going and let him in on his plans to start all over and was sworn to secrecy. Mm, that one's a little more far-fetched for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I do think, I do, I if, again, personally, I don't think that Clint had anything to do with this. I think that, like, the more likely answer is that he potentially, like, you know, like, Brian told him something, but even that, I think, is, like, a little out there. So, I just think, that, like, at some point, like, like the secret comes out, right? Like, I don't know. I feel so. like, too, if you're, like, I mean, my vibe that I get from Brian and Clint is that they were truly, like, good friends. They weren't just, mm-hmm. like, surface-level friends. Like, yeah. I think that if I went missing and I told my best friend, like, hey, I'm leaving. Don't tell anybody where I am. Um, you're sworn to secrecy or whatever. I feel like after a certain point when she saw all of the commotion and all of the yeah. investment mm. that people were putting into my well-being, I feel like she would have told somebody. Well, and e- even if it's just, like, to say, like, no, like, he's okay. Like, you know, like, like he's not dead. Like, he's not he's not in danger anywhere. Like, he, like, you know, I know where he is. I can't tell you where he is, but he's safe, you know? But, like, so so that does not seem like that's what's going on here no, at all. Like, no. again, like, I said, like, Clint doesn't, like, necessarily strike me as, like, this, like, mastermind, and so it's, no. like, it's, like, like, at some point, like, this, again, like, the secret is let slip at some point if there's a secret to begin with, so. Sure. Well, all of these theories are maybe a little fun to talk about, but they're not pushing the needle any further on actually finding Brian. So, if you know anything about Brian's disappearance, call the Columbus Police Department at 615-645-4545 or your local FBI office, and we are going to put all of those numbers and links in our show notes and on our website. But... That is all that we have for you this week. So, 
Melissa, thank you so much for coming on and speculating with us and talking with us and drinking wine with us. It's been such a pleasure. It's been so much fun. I'm really happy that I got the chance to do this. It was um, really an interesting case. Oh, um, sure was. Yeah. Miss, missing persons cases are so fascinating. Just uh, yeah. the, the number of questions that there are is so crazy. Yeah. And I think with like both of our backgrounds, too, I think we were like really able to like come through like literally every single piece of this. Yeah. No. And I could not imagine imagine like again i've heard about enough of these cases i could not imagine like you know being tied to one of these people that goes missing i mean it and it's weird to me how often it happens which is probably Mm. like a whole nother episode but like (laughs) i mean the statistics on i mean we think of missing persons cases as like few and far in between and it never happens and it's like once in a lifetime that you hear about that but it's it's actually like too often to sit comfortable with (laughs) yeah Fair. But just in the meantime, just like tell everyone where they can find you and your work online. Yeah, of course. So um, most of my stories daily are posted to my station's website, which is just kktv.com. Um, but I, I do try to be on the Twitter. <laughs> I'm not as habitual about it as I probably should be. It's Melissa Henry TV. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And thank you all so much for listening. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too. And if you are enjoying this podcast and are just wondering how you can tell anyone and everyone about it, the best way to help people find this podcast is by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening right now. So be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we will see you next week for another episode of Crime for Wine. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.